I'm literally just watching a seagull devour someone's bags of Lay's potato chips, and I find it really entertaining. So I can't even think about technology right now. All right, that's the perfect is, that's a perfect clip for Landline. That's all I need. All right, see ya. All right, bye. Welcome to Landline Podcast. I'm a professional voiceover artist that Alex could never have actually gotten unless I was his friend from 10 years ago. Welcome back to Landline 503-894-8480. That's 503-894-8480. Call the landline, leave a message, talk to me, get on the internet. It's your favorite pastime anyways. All right, let's get to the show. It's a long one. Jeff, the hedge fund thousandaire on Facebook's computer viruses and all the student loan refinancing offers I'm getting in the mail, plus the voicemail from a slew of great callers. You can be one five zero three eight nine four eighty four eighty. Scam Jam political version and significant bother at the end. Every Tuesday, see you next Tuesday, landline. Call from Dorado Jeffrey. Landline. Alex, how are you? Yes, Jeff, the hedge fund thousandaire. I'm just finishing off some leftover soba noodles, so let me put those down. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, long time no speak. Um, got some new uh, technology uh, hooked up to uh, the phone line now. So, yeah, did you? how did you enjoy the first episode of season seven? I, I have not listened yet. Okay, good. Um... Well, if you had listened, I, I say good because that means a lot of other people have listened because the numbers are through the roof, my friend. Rick Steves oh. is shaking in his boots. Um, what I can tell you is that I do have a phone tap so that all outgoing calls are recorded so I can like call someone and the phone calls recorded. All ingoing, incoming calls are recorded, but we're using the old technology for these long form interviews and then hopefully splicing in some shorter hits really would love to make the landline itself sort of like an oracle for people to call and receive advice from or uh, log comments and questions and criticisms at when they're having a landline moment out in the world. I, uh, I like the sound of that. Well, I'm glad that the ratings are good, and um, no, that's, that's all awesome stuff. So we're going to get to this amazing story that Jeff forwarded to me that I printed out, by the way, and to, to be true to form. Printed out all 28 pages and read it, made notes. Um, we're going to talk about the biggest sort of cyber attack of recent history, the NotPetya virus that was sent by Russians through Ukraine and ultimately around the rest of the world, specifically to large corporations, computer systems. But I did want to start with Facebook, so I'm glad you started. You you, you brought that up. It's down 20%. Its stock value is down 20%. Pretty much that, that drop happened all in one day. The last episode we did together was stock uh, Facebook stock, please go to zero. So I guess... 
as my as my mental coach around Facebook, Jeff, like where do we stand here? I, I, at first, it seemed like nothing was happening to change Facebook stock in the eyes of investors after the entire uh, you know Zuckerberg goes to Congress. But then, when the quarterly report came out that indicated that maybe there was some slowdown in their revenue based on new users, all of a sudden there was a, a market correction of the value. And and I'm 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 excited to hear your point of view. I bet. And let me just take one guess, and then I'll shut up. I think you're going to say it's undervalued, and it's a good opportunity to buy. So I'm actually going to surprise you with that take and tell you I'm I'm indifferent on it. So I mean, the real interesting thing that happened there, right, is that they had been handily beating estimates, right? If the market expected them to earn a billion dollars, they were earning a billion and a quarter, right? And what ended up happening was they only uh, they only met expectations, and that's what caused the stock to drop because everyone had priced the stock on it continually beating expectations. So if that doesn't tell you how silly the market is, um, I, I don't know what does. But uh, you know, to, to be quite honest, I'd say as of late, um, you know, I I've really started to question what is uh, the value behind, let's call it what Facebook says is connecting people, right? At the end of the day, like, what are we really doing on social media? And I know you've been kind of a large uh, advocate of, you know, being anti-social media for a long time. And I, I think what you're seeing, at least, is that North America seems to be, you know, uh, plateauing in terms of their their usage of Facebook and maybe Instagram still growing, and but Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook are all kind of on the, you know, a, a, not a huge decline, but they're definitely plateaued and seem to be kind of leveling off. Um, that doesn't mean that Facebook's revenue is going to drop, but, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of indifferent at this point. You know, there I would. There are a bunch of other tech companies that I would much rather own at this point in time, regardless of how cheap it looks, because you know there's just so much going on there. So one of the things that I everyone is talking about that aspect of things, like oh, it's trailing off, and maybe we shouldn't use Facebook as more. That almost seems like old news to me. I think the new news is the the politic the politicis. How do you say that word? Politicization of certain social media platforms. So I, even though I fashion myself sort of left of center and relatively progressive in, in many ways, I think something that Democrats are choosing not to talk about right now is the anger in conservative circles over the way Facebook is banning and censoring certain pages. And that extends to Twitter and now, you know, in some ways to other search engines and social media platforms as well. And I don't know enough about it to know kind of how true all the different headlines are. But if there is if there is a loss of user confidence in the value of Facebook being sort of a uh, utilitarian safe platform for all, then it will lose its monopoly status as the only place to integrate with others online and get information 
and maybe it starts to migrate to sort of like an MSNBC of social media, which gives the opportunity for a Fox News of social media to arise. And that's an interesting conversation that we should have. But from a finan- from a financial standpoint, that just means that you're no longer all TV stations. You're just one tiny cable station. And you're making a shitload less money that way than you are over the last five years or today, which is that you are the only distribution channel for people to interact with one another on social media. And you can say, well, Instagram exists. Well, Facebook owns Instagram. You can say, well, WhatsApp exists and Facebook owns that. So, I mean, Twitter has always been massively undervalued in my in my point of view because it's so powerful. Look at how we get all the information from Donald Trump. I'm all over the place, as per usual on Landline, but can you speak to this sort of like everyone getting in their camps on social media and how you think that problem I think I think that's a huge problem for the value of Facebook moving forward. If people think it's only for like educated Ivy League elites that it, it has, you know, a, a, a tiny percentage of the value that it has now. Yeah, you know, you got me thinking just because it, it does seem like to some extent, I think about just kind of what I use in terms of social media, and you're really maybe starting to see uh, maybe fragmentation based off of interest starting to arise. So like one of my favorite new tools over the last year is uh, Stock Twit, which is a social media um, app and platform for investors to follow stocks. And what I love about it is, is you can pretty much find out uh, what's going on with a stock quicker than anywhere, including Twitter for some reason, um, because you just got traders on there talking with one another. So I think about this. And, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think about, you know, other places like Reddit, where you can really just tailor your, let's call it social media, to the interests that you like, rather than have kind of like one be-all, end-all platform. Um, so in my eyes, from a financial standpoint, what Facebook may have to start doing is selectively rolling up some of these platforms beyond kind of the biggies that they've acquired like WhatsApp and Instagram and start to really try and, um, you know, say that they're going to be real niche sites and that they're all going to become specific channels kind of to get at your point and build their own kind of cable network from scratch again because maybe there's a new land grab taking place. And it's harder to run a more profitable business when you're running hundred different types of platform than it is to just one one run one platform right like the most the most profitable restaurant in the world would sell one single menu item as long as the lines never dissipated as long as you had a constant demand for one single menu item that you could completely control cost on and completely control labor and and organization and logistics and all that stuff and size of restaurant and overhead costs you could have a very, very profitable entity because you know everything to be expected. Facebook built one thing that they're clearly very, very good at. If there's a huge migration away from that one giant channel that is kind of people's everything and people start to do an a la carte 
build out of their social media slash information platforms. It's a lot harder to run a hundred different channels with the same profitability as running one giant channel. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of to add to that too, right? A lot of what I've been thinking about recently, at least in terms of Facebook, is what they're actually monetizing, right, is your personal data. And, you know, my brother works for Google, and what I think just kind of watching what they've been doing, I've really grown to appreciate, not uh, not saying I'm happy about it, but their data set is less about personal information and more about human behavior, right? They can kind of back into who you are based off of your search queries. And to me, that's much more powerful and a much more uh, robust, sustainable business model because ultimately, if the end of the game is kind of like AI, um, Google's going to have a much easier time designing human brains to accomplish whatever task it is that they're doing. Whereas Facebook's kind of just got this treasure trove of exactly who you are and they're selling, you know, that out to advertisers to just come and try and hawk goods to you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to make a real decision of, like, how do they kind of want to proceed? Do they want to approach this the same exact way, just try and pinpoint really targeted ads, or do they want to be something more than that? And so I think we're at a crossroads, and that, that's really where my indifference comes from, is that, you know, the more and more I think about it, I'm just saying, like, there's really no reason to be using the platform at all versus, let's say, all the other tech firms that are out there that are doing really well, like in Amazon, Google, Apple, Microsoft. Um, so, yeah. Well, a couple of quick hits, and then we can wrap up Facebook, but just to kind of bring it back to the sassy landline point of view. Um, first of all, Facebook's brand right now stinks. I mean, not that I even have a lot of conversations about Facebook because I'm not on it, but you're hearing a lot less did you see on Facebook at the bar from the table over from you. And if you do hear it, everyone's rolling their eyes and being like, Facebook's so annoying. So whatever they were three years ago where people were like, this is so great that I can finally see all my family's photos in one place. Now it's like Facebook sucks and Mark Zuckerberg's a creep. So um, talk about a massive brand rebuilding that they're going to need to do. And sending Mark Zuckerberg around to Congress in a, in a shirt and tie with those giant bug eyes telling everyone that Facebook is about connecting people and that they're going to work really hard to fix it. I don't think it's doing anything. Um, so that's one thing. And then and and the second thing, you know, on the heels of that Congress comment, we haven't really talked about Facebook since he went around and, and, you know, testified to all these government bodies and subcommittees and everything. And I watched a lot of that. I watched a lot of it on cspan.com or org, whatever it is. Um, talk about a good utility of the internet, being able to watch your government in a live stream in perfect high, high definition for hours on end. Um, I just continue, continue to ask myself the same question, and I would love to hear your point of view. How is it that none of these people, and by the way, this is going to lead directly into our main topic for today, which is the, the this massive super bug. 
how is it that no one ever brings up in these conversations? Like if I had been the, you know, the representative from Oregon who got to ask Mark Zuckerberg a question and I had six minutes, I would have said, Mr. Zuckerberg, wouldn't most of these problems be solved if people just didn't use Facebook anymore? Like, if nobody used Facebook anymore, would Russia be able to spread a bunch of disinformation so efficiently and effectively to so many hundreds of millions of voters? How come that is never brought up? Like, why isn't anyone on the newscast saying that? Why isn't anyone in Congress saying that? Why isn't any sort of cultural commentator saying, one way we could solve this really quick is if everyone just never went on Facebook again? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of pieces to that, right? Because the, the other piece of that is no one's talking about how could so many people not fact check even what they're reading or say this is kind of ridiculous. There's no way Hillary Clinton's running a, you know, a, ch- a child sex slave ring out of a pizza shop in the back. Um, and, right, so like to the, same, to the same extent, right, there's a level that, a clear kind of example how we really need to fix the education system um, because there's clearly uh, some inability to, you know, fact check what you read. But I, I agree with that, um, that no one, no one not only asked that question, but the questions that were asked, asked showed that so many of those representatives had never even touched Facebook in their life. So they brought up these things and Mark Zuckerberg was, able to pick holes in it because it just showed that these guys had not done their homework and had no idea what they were talking about, you know, like how these, the platform even worked within itself. Um, I watched a couple of those and I was just appalled by some of the um, politicians, how they handled it, because they had a real um, opportunity to kind of call Facebook out on their bullshit and Zuckerberg did, quite frankly, a very good job whenever there was going to be anything remotely incriminating that was going to make Facebook look bad, say, I don't know for sure, can we follow up? And then they followed up with what I want to say is like hundreds of pages of follow-up questions that never got kind of the public that they probably deserved that had all the gruesome details that they didn't want us to know. Yeah, very, very weird. And, and I, I mean, I just want to, like, I guess in, in a friendly podcast way, criticize you for saying that, you know, you went to the education thing. That's true, but that's exactly what all the congressmen did. It's like, that's not the point. Like, guess what? The education system is fucked, and that's a different subcommittee hearing. That's not the Facebook subcommittee hearing. The Facebook subcommittee hearing is everybody turn their computers off and unplug them from the internet and you will immediately solve the problem. Like we are bleeding as a country from our vote. You know, the, our, our, our electoral system is bleeding out on the street. We are, we have a neck wound because someone in a fixed gear bike slid our neck as they rode over us in the bike lane. Well, cause they were reading their iPad that was plugged into a solar panel as they were navigating through Google Maps to their job at the windmill farm. And we are bleeding out as an electoral system, as a political system, as a country with a compass and a common ground. We are bleeding out on the fucking ground. And what we need is a tourniquet. We need a tourniquet 
to help stop the bleeding. And when we get to the hospital, we can talk about whether or not the bike lane was designed well and whether or not people should be allowed to have iPads on their bicycles. But for right now, we need to stop the bleeding. And the best thing we can do to stop the bleeding is stop using Facebook. And not one single motherfucker who was elected to Congress said that out loud in that hearing. Well, I I agree with you. That probably would have been a powerful moment. I do want to ask you, though, because one of the things that has happened, uh, at least I see it in Boston, and I'm sure you see it in Oregon, and it remains to be seen if this is going on elsewhere, but social media seems to be a huge driver of less reliance on uh, one-time-use plastics. I don't know if you're seeing that across the board, that no straws anymore. Um, are you seeing that at all? Cause I, well, I, I mean, that's a conversation. Well, that's a conversation. And this is interesting. This is kind of, you know, part, this is something we should talk about at length another time. But I've heard that in conversations human-to-human in real time which is for me all I get because I'm not on social media, but that means that that's a reflection of what's happening online as well. And maybe that, I mean, it sounds like you're leading to a positive place, but keep going. I mean, I know about the discussion of single use plastic and, and it's more more that um, I saw people stop using straws and I didn't see the video. um, But apparently there was a lot of talk about it. And I mean, like it makes, common sense but like you know there was a a video of a turtle you know that had a straw for a nose ring because it was he was like born with it and like it, it was crazy apparently and it caused this whole uproar and it caused this huge network effect so i'm not i'm not saying i don't disagree with you because i i agree this has become basically a uh a, me- a mechanism to kind of dumb down um, the, the proletariat, um, but there, there have been, I guess, I guess this to me was something that was interesting that would give, uh, some credence to their business model or platform that there are, there is good that can come from it, if that makes sense. Landline. Plenty more from Jeff and I coming up. We'll fill your entire afternoon or evening. Let's check the messages. 503-894-8480. Call the landline. Get involved. Landline. You have four new messages. 27 saved messages. Main menu. To listen to your messages, press 1. To First voice message sent Monday, September 3rd at 7.19 p.m. Hey, landliners. It's your favorite do-gooder here. Just checking in to let everybody know that my first day of work is tomorrow and kind of freaking out about it. Um... I threw my back out on my vacation last week, so I spent the whole R&R period on the back and um, was feeling better and ready for it. And then um, Eloise, my daughter, got sick, and I picked her up this morning, and my back hurt again, and I had a full, like, meltdown, tried to quit. 
then I had to talk me off the ledge. I was pretty sure that this was a sign from God and the universe that I should not be doing this, and it was going to be a horrible, flaming garbage pile of terribleness. But um, I don't know. I'm going to go feeling better. got a massage. So here goes nothing. Keep you posted. Love you guys. Bye. End of message. To erase this message, press 7. Message erased. That's Anya calling in from the Bay Area, home of all the worst companies in the world, Facebook, Netflix, Amazon, no, they're in Seattle, Google, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, Facebook. I feel like Snapchat was based in Austria. All right, back to Jeff and I. Landline. So Jeff did an awesome thing. He sent me a he sent me a uh, he texted me. God forbid he texted me an article from Wired magazine or Wired.com. Um, and I'm just he, gonna... he didn't respond to my raisin, so I had to uh, send a new text. Wait, what's a raisin? Like the, like the bird, like the pigeon carrier, the messengers. Um, and you said must read for someone extolling the virtues of too much reliance on technology is a bad thing. So awesome article uh, written by Andy Greenberg, who's coming out with a book that's called Sandworm. And I'm sure this guy will do the rounds on NPR and all those places. Um, but it's called The Untold Story of Not Petya, the most devastating cyber attack in history. And Jeff, why don't you just give us like, give give me give a short synopsis of the article. So basically, I mean, we all know that Russia um, has been kind of in a, uh, I guess it's not so much a pseudo war, but a, a new type of war with Ukraine for the past several years. And last year, they unleashed this uh, computer virus and. My understanding of how it worked is it combined two pieces of technology. One that exploited uh, um, insecurities in the old versions of Microsoft Windows to the point where if a company had updated some of their computers but still had legacy Windows running on others, it didn't matter. It was able to basically hack the entire network. But the other piece of technology that it was able to use was to identify um, dormant username and password credentials in, uh, you know, whatever the code, uh, the code base, and was able to use the two to basically bring down major uh, corporations such as Maersk, which I had to look up on YouTube how to actually pronounce it before I came on here, Maersk. Uh, which is a, a large shipping logistics firm. I, I believe it's the uh, article says they control about a fifth of world trade through their ports. Um, uh, Merck, which is a drug company, said they lost about $900 million just because of this virus. But it basically shut down the entire company's computer systems, and this was a virus launched in Ukraine. These Russian cyber criminals, which is a word that makes us all imagine something that will never affect us, put a virus into a Ukrainian computer system, 
that was the equivalent of like TurboTax. So enough people had the software installed on their computers that that could then spread far and wide around the world, specifically to corporate entities like Jeff mentioned, Maersk and Merck and the parent company of Cadbury, Nabisco, Mondelez, amongst other. And the U.S. government thinks that it costs these companies around $10 billion for like a two-week-long cyber attack. Not even, a week, 10 days, whatever. The fascinating thing for me is where all of this internet stuff, which you think will never really affect you and was sort of similar to the um, plot of Die Hard 4, which Anna and I recently watched on Amazon a couple weeks ago. Do you remember that movie? Did you see Die Hard 4? I think I stopped after 2. All right. Well, it was sort of tongue-in-cheek because I don't know how many people did. But Die Hard 4, basically, there is a... The antagonist is this government cyber, the U.S. government cyber expert who turns against the government because he doesn't think that they've taken the threat of 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 malicious, you know, attacks, bugs seriously enough. And he ends up infecting the entire computer system and then he can like take all the money out of the stock market. And then Bruce Willis comes in and like drives an SUV through the core of a power reactor and everything explodes and everyone's safe. Um, but. This is what's happening in this story. I mean, when the intersection of real life and technology comes together in this incredible article on Wired, one of the people that the story talks about, who's this IT professional in Ukraine who needs to like help figure out the solution for Maersk, he can't get gas at a gas station when he's coming home from his vacation home to fix the problem because he doesn't have any cash. And every single, oh, it is in Ukraine. Every single gas station in Ukraine, the computer systems are down. And that's where some of this internet meets real life with the cyber criminal lens makes you realize, oh, fuck. Another example is how all of the truck the trucks for Maersk can't get into the port of Elizabeth, New Jersey to load their shipping containers onto the super tankers because the gate agent is supposed to scan the barcode of the container before it gets picked off the 18-wheeler and lifted onto the ship has no computer system. So there's all these like security issues around letting a container full of unidentifiable goods pass through the security gate and ultimately get through. So there ends up being this miles-long line of 18-wheelers with refrigerated goods that need to get through to the shipment and are completely fucked and need to get plugged in someplace so that the food doesn't rot and blah, 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 blah. It turns into this massive disaster. And this happened like 18 months ago, and you hear very little about it in the news today. And I think that the point that we should talk about, because that's really why you brought me to the article, is this idea that everything is plugged in, everything is connected to some sort of network, and that we really have chosen to do very simple things like voting on paper and having the local county commissioner, 68-year-old woman who's been doing it forever at the you know YMCA, Make sure you don't cheat on your votes. We've replaced her with some giant network of computers that some, you know, white male from a from a private equity company backing backing is telling us is a way better solution for the efficiency and effectiveness of our problems. But everything's like that. Our cash is like that. 
Our food is like that. Our voting is like that. Our ability to get from place A to B is like that. Nobody knows how to, you know, which way am I pointing right now? South, north, east, west. Which way do the mountains go? Which way does the sun come up? I would love to go around and ask people in this country where the sun rises and see if they know the answer to that. So anyways, that's a long, long-winded diatribe that I have no idea what you should react to because I'm a horrible podcast host. But Well, I think there are a couple of things, right? What first got me to send it to you, um, you hit on to some extent, but it was even just the simple kind of explanation of the reaction at mayor's headquarters of all the employees running around with the like chickens with their heads cut off because the computers were down that even just to do your job not to mention right they can't keep track of the containers coming in and out um you know gas stations are down right like that stuff just icing on the cake but that you cannot physically complete basic daily tasks of your job um, and life um, without having a computer. Um, and, I mean, you hit on a lot of different pieces of that with, you know, gas, cash, everything now is on there. And that now the, uh, let's say, hacking technology and computer viruses are just dramatically exploiting the interconnectedness of the world where something... I mean, and that, you know, they indicate in an article this was meant to do as much damage as possible, but something that was really meant to be what they focused on Ukrainian um, commerce or, the, you know, trying to be a warning shot maybe to people doing business in the Ukraine. It's kind of unclear. There, there really was no motivation, I guess, but that they were able to do with a, probably a very minor investment, you know, tens of billions of dollars of damage. My guess is that number is extremely understated, that $10 billion number, that there's plenty of stuff that went on that we're not even hearing about. Um, but, it, yeah, I mean, it really what I think was relevant to me um, that had me, you know, kind of reach out to you on it was just that, um, it, it was it was such a prime example of um, how the over reliance on technology could end up being our downfall. Maersk. So there was this incredible scene where they're literally running around the headquarters, just unplugging computers, like trying to get ahead of wherever the virus is going to go next. But basically, they figure out that every single server in the entire Maersk universe is effed except for one in Ghana because when the attack happened there was a power outage in Ghana so there's an entire backup of all the shipping and logistics information everything that is necessary for this entire gigantic company that does a fifth of the world's shipping everything is saved on you know for lack of better terminology one hard drive in Ghana so I just want to read this directly from the article because I found it to be one of the most fascinating parts. It does contain the singular known copy of the company's domain controller data left untouched by the malware, all thanks to a power outage. There was a lot of joyous whoops in the office when we found it, a Maersk administrator says. 
When the tense engineers in Maidenhead set up a connection to the Ghana office, however, they found its, fan, found its bandwidth was so thin that it would take days to transmit the several hundred gigabyte domain controller backup to the UK. The next idea put a Ghanaian staffer on the next plane to London, but none of the West African office employees had a British visa. So, I mean, talk about like intersections of the universe. None of these Ghanaian employees are allowed in London because of the visa issue. So, like, their colonial masters in Northern Europe have to, you know, figure out a handoff of the disk in Nigeria in order to bring it back to the UK so that they can bring all their servers back line. It's, it's just fucking crazy. The reliance on, like, you know, a developing country, but then, like, I, I don't know. I, it, it, my head was exploding at that moment. Um, I'm glad that you, that was one of the most interesting parts to me, too. I was reading that, and it was almost, it was like a you-can't-make-this-shit-up type moment for me. Uh, in that article, I mean, it, it, re- it really was uh, an incredible story, and I, I, I really would have been curious to know what could have happened had they not had a blackout occur in Ghana, I guess, because they'd be completely uh, at a standstill, it sounds like. Well, you know what they ended up doing, and they talk about this, they start identifying all the container ships with pen and paper at the ports. And they also said they use Facebook and WhatsApp, so I don't want to, um, you know, lie and say that didn't come up in the article. They were communicating like through Messenger over international seas instead of having this like massive company software. But one of the ways that they figured out like how to load everything onto the boat was to start labeling them with a sharpie and a pen and a piece of tape. And being like, this container's going there, this container's going there, this one's in line behind this one, this is the way we're going to line them up. When the thing loads up, take the piece of paper off and, you know, put it in a folder. Oh my god, that works? We can still do that? Um, And of course, it's a, you know, it's a crazy thing to think that technology hasn't made things happen faster and better and more efficiently and more profitably but it feels like profit is actually the driver of all that because what are we doing? We're just shipping plastic straws around the world faster. It's not as if there were a bunch of, you know, beating hearts in a refrigerated trailer and the entire boat is full of organs that we're sending from one country to another to save lives. It's basically like a bunch of blood avocados farmed by a Mexican drug gang that need to get from you know, Porta Vallarta or wherever the hell they came from all the way to Shanghai so that, you know, there can be sushi at the Mandarin Oriental in downtown Shanghai for when white Merrill Lynch bankers arrive, they can eat something they're used to for their high protein diet. It's like so fucked that it matters so much that shipping and logistics fall and we don't get what we need as much as it is that the cyber crime is so hideous to me. I, I Is it weird that I almost want a world where we can't do all this shipment so quickly? Yeah, there's a lot to digest there. I love the imagery, though, of um, Merrill Lynch bankers meeting their, their uh, California roles in Shanghai at the Mandarin Oriental. If I have a good response to that, I'd say we're still kind of in this, what I would call, honor thy consumer economy, where we're still just pretty reliant on 
selling people shit and trading with one another stuff that we don't necessarily need. Some we do, but um, I'd say a lot of it is um, predominantly crap that most people could do without, but because we need that to boost the economic numbers, we obviously have built technology to enable that and make it cheaper to sell to one another, I guess. Well, I mean, we're going to get into lending as the last segment, and then I'll let you go because I, I want to talk about all those um, those pictures I've been sending you of the various um, money-borrowing opportunities I've been getting. But let me sharpen my question a little bit to you because I, I think that beyond me just being bombastic, there is something there that, at least for me, I have to figure out. And you know, I'm not going to put words in your mouth about where you fall on sort of the, the capitalism spectrum. If a world should be less interconnected the way that I think you're saying it should, and I certainly believe that it should, there are going to be people on the other side of the table who say, yeah, but this is less efficient and less profitable. It's easier if we all have each other's information. It's easier if we all use the best system, you know, and and on the sort of like individual consumer and individual user standpoint, it goes back to the Facebook discussion, which is. If you told people there's another social media network that, you know, maybe doesn't share political information or does does something differently to make them feel more confident about it, they're going to get on it and say, yeah, but none of my other friends are here or this isn't as well designed or this doesn't work as well as on my phone or like the picture uploading is different. So how do we reconcile this idea of slowing down technology when technology is so intertwined with the growth of capitalism? I mean, where where can the two sides, where can the technologists on one side and sort of the people who want healthy and productive society on the other side intermingle in a productive way when the solution is always bigger, better, faster, interconnected, more security, ship more, bigger? I mean, Maersk's ships, they describe one Maersk ship as the Empire State Building built on its or turned on its side. That's its side within size with another Empire built State Building on top of it. That's one of their super ships that can ship shit all around the country or all around the world. I've spun myself into a tizzy here. Um, yeah, can you, you repeat the question? <laughs> so the the question, Jeff, is like. If, what is what what is the solution if it's not it, the solution is not no technology the solution is not no enterprise software to help shipping containers get organized how would you suggest that something like this massive worldwide virus stops while still using technology does that make sense yes yeah, so i'll give you this is maybe not an answer but it's a little anecdote one of my favorite books i've ever read is a book called anti-fragile by nasim Tlaib. you might know him because he wrote a very popular book called black swan and this is kind of the prequel to black swan black swan is basically that the housing crisis or dot-com boom these are problems that are very easy to solve in retrospect but while they're going on we succumb to kind of this uh you know brainwashed groupthink that we convince each other that everything's okay and then when it all falls apart we say oh well that was the problem so anti-fragile is about why those things happen and he basically says that the opposite of fragile is not uh something that's robust something that doesn't break it's it's there's a third 
element, which is anti-fragile, that uh, orga- organic mechanisms or an- anything that's kind of living, and that includes the economy, um, uses a ton of examples, strengthens from adversity. And, you know, one of the things he keeps talking about in it is that the interconnectedness of everything, that one piece of accounting software on everyone's computer brings down the entire system. And so he keeps kind of jump cutting in between things that work and things that don't work. And, you know, he re- one of the things he really kind of draws attention to is how Switzerland has a very decentralized central government and their states have a lot more power, whereas the United States is the exact opposite at this point, where the federal government has become more powerful than the states. So in the event of a complete collapse of one economy in a Swiss state, another one has a strong economy that can hold it up. Um, and But the fact of the matter is, is that they are still all run kind of autonomously underneath uh, autonomy, autonomy? They're, they're all autonomous underneath the hood. Um, and so I think the key here is is that there needs to be some, that technology is like important, it's very real, but it needs to be less centralized than it currently is. It goes back to the Facebook thing, that if everyone is using the same exact thing to get their information, it becomes very easy for one bad operator if they can figure out how to take advantage of it to game the entire system. Whereas if there are hundreds of places to get information, then it may be more difficult to do something like that. So I don't know if that answers your exact question, but I think just the element of decentralization um, is extremely important moving forward. And if this not pet ya example is not uh, kind of heated as a warning. Uh, this is going to be the beginning of something uh, I think pretty terrible that, should, that that this to me would be the next major cause of a crisis is a virus like this taking advantage of the, the massive interconnectedness of all the computer systems in the world. Maersk. Next voice message sent Tuesday, September 4th at 1.20 p.m. Hey, Alex, it's Ethan over here in Bend. Uh, Happy to have the podcast Landline back on. So no doubt you have to keep going on this. It's already back up in the top spot on my playlist, and um, I feel you on the wallet loss. But I'll tell you, with um, your young child growing older, they will cost you more in property and cash, and you'll actually start to look forward to recovering your lost wallet items, going to the DMV and getting a new license and calling your credit card numbers. That will be a nice uh, break from basically uh, chasing, chasing the stuff that your child loses. For example, my four-year-old has now thrown his last pair of second pair of prescription glasses somewhere in the property gone at 300 bucks. So it makes losing your wallet really not a problem when uh, your progeny starts doing it for you weekly and you will gain the uh, wonderful joy of selflessness of property and time. Uh, So the wallet, sorry to hear it. I lost mine last year. 
keep the podcast going strong, and I'll be tuning in next week. All right. End of message. To erase this message, press 7. Message erased. Maersk. Well, I guess my closing remark with with respect to that, and I don't know if this rings true, but um, I got forwarded, of course, through text message by Dr. Dreamboat, one of the um, guests and um, listeners of Landline Podcast, a Tucker Carlson Fox News clip where Tucker Carlson actually goes after Amazon, Uber, Jeff Bezos and Travis, whatever, specifically because they're making so much money and they, you know, recent studies, which no one needed to wait around to see, have shown that their average employee is basically making minimum wage or lower in the case of Uber employees. Um, And that the difference of that income level and subsistence for all of those thousands and tens of thousands of employees of these monopoly companies is the government. The government is paying for their health care in large part. The government is paying for social services for them. The government is making it up probably also through, you know, whatever tax revenue has to be made in other places or the taxpayers are paying for it. Forget about the government. The taxpayers are paying for it. So why is that connected to what we've been talking about? If you now start seeing ultra conservative television hosts and the and the clip, the clip that was tweeted out and was then sent to me through text, not on Twitter, said that the only person talking about this was Bernie Sanders and that Bernie Sanders. Why isn't why aren't any Republican basically saying why aren't any Republican congressmen talking about this? And I thought that that's fascinating. That then gets to the root of the interconnectivity of everything and all of the concentration of wealth, power, and commerce in a few specific digital companies. And it's back to what we said on other episodes between the two of us, Facebook, Amazon, Uber, Netflix. It's like a one-stop shop for so much of everybody's everyday consumption and it is not going to last. And I, you know, implore listeners to continue to find ways to entertain themselves elsewhere because I feel that the concentration of wealth in the hands of the few that started those companies and are running those companies is to the great detriment of the rest of us. So I don't know if you want to comment on that, and then we'll move on to one little last bit I have. Yeah, my, my only comment on that, and this is a prediction that I, be, I truly believe 20 years from now, there will be some form of a backlash that uh, we will realize that we've been brainwashed, um, that capitalism is this kind of like guiding truth that has caused, you know, Earth to flourish. And, it, it, you know, not, not the fact that, you know, we put a, um, we start a coup in any socialist country, uh, that or sanctions or whatever, whenever they seem to have any signs of doing something correctly. I, I believe that Republicans and Democrats alike, when you really start to see this automation take place and jobs just get literally destroyed over the next two decades, that we're all going to become socialists. And it's going to be a very select few that are still kind of extolling the virtues of Adam Smith's you know, blind hand. Um, 
And so that, that's my one comment, that we should maybe hold some, uh, you know, take some positives away that I think it's going to happen at this point, that the tides are going to turn, and hopefully that means there'll be some change for the better. All right. Well, for now, Jeff's a capitalist, and that's why we bring him on. He's the hedge fund thousandaire. He's made a lot of investments, both liquid and illiquid. He knows a lot about the market. Um, and I'm not going to do any stock picks with him this time. We talked a little bit about Facebook, and he's indifferent to that. But I've been sending him pictures the last few weeks because I get all of these debt refinancing offers. And I'm going to open one on the air here, Jeff. Oh, yeah. This one addressed to me at my address. It says right on the top, shortcut to paying off student debt inside. The reason we're going to talk about this is, A, I think it's fascinating. B, I'm finishing up the, the big short, the book, and so I'm reliving all of the last financial crisis as we wait for the next one to strike, which should be any day now. Can't wait. And, and three, I just want to like bring in a, an educated and intelligent person to try to analyze what the hell is going on here. A little bit of background. I have $120,000 of student debt. Thank you, Babson College MBA. Is it worth it? We're yet to see. My credit rating my credit rating has never been higher, which is fascinating to me, and my debt level has never been higher. So they like when you take out a lot of debt. I do have a steady stream of income coming in from employment, but it's honestly not that great compared to my debt ratio. So pretty fascinated. I get all kinds of offers. I can take 0% for 18 months on a credit card up to $16,000 if I pay a 1% fee and then I can pay down other debt. And actually, once I kind of get everything in order, I'm getting to a place where the only debt I have is my student debt. I still have some outstanding debts in other places, most of which are in really low interest rate situations. I do think I'm going to take like $25,000 at a time on these free offers, Jeff, as long as they keep coming and just pay my student debt down in chunks where I'm getting my student debt interest rate from 6%, let's say, down to 0% for that 18 months, right? That's a smart way of just borrowing new money at a way lower rate and paying down money that I have to pay a higher rate on. Do you see any problems with that plan? Yeah, I mean, I... <sighs> Well, one, it's probably a sign of probably loosened restrictions on banks, um, which is why you're seeing that, which is also probably a sign of that we're in the later stage of the, the economic cycle, that we're closer to the, the, uh, the R-word recession um, than we are to you know an economic boom. But I, I mean, personally, I don't a real issue with that, especially because you can pay down the stuff that is, like, unforgivable, like federal student loans, right? I mean, like, it seems like a pretty good situation as long as you can kind of service that debt. And, I mean, at the end of the day, like, what's the worst that they can do? I mean, they really can't take, like, credit card debt at the end of the day means nothing beyond your credit card score, your, your house and your car that you really have to worry about. So so the basically the last financial crisis happened when banks lent, when banks packaged up a bunch of shitty loans to people who didn't deserve them and passed them on to the next guy down the line. And, and basically 
the people left with the shitty loans at the end were the ones who got fucked. AIG, Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers. In this case, they have to find new ways of lending large sums of money out to people because you can't do that as much, or at least seemingly you can't do it as much with houses. So my question, which is, you know, on the heels of the comments you just made is, is there a possibility? First of all, let's talk about the student debt crisis, because I don't know if you saw this week, but the guy who got there, the guy was ahead of. The government's loan programs was fired and there was a big article that came out in the New York Times that basically said the student debt crisis is massively worse than we thought it was. And most people are defaulting within the first three years of of graduating from an undergraduate institution and and failing to pay their debt. Um, And then B, is it possible that sort of too much credit is being extended to the American consumer right now and and how do we short it? Like this is an this is here here's a here's a business idea. Here's a money making idea for everybody. There's too much credit being extended again. There's too much fucking free money out there. There's no way that all of us who sit around reading, you know, the the websites that used to be gawker.com are actually making as much money as they're paying us and as soon as the construction industry slows down, there's going to be a huge trickle down effect for all these other industries. So with that, again, long-winded diatribe, Jeff, is there too much credit being extended, and how do we make money off of it? Well, I think there's definitely too much credit being spent. Like, you know, I, I probably spent way too much time on socialist subreddits at this point in time, but it's kind of like, uh, I think it's the running joke that there's, like, the elite. And then there's the lower class, and the middle class is just the lower class that has taken on too much debt um, and is living well beyond their means. So um, there's definitely too much credit. Uh, you know, the student the student loan thing has always been very interesting to me just because, right, I, I think the number is, what, what do you pay? Do you pay 6%? Yeah, it's like, on average, it's probably more like 55 but it's way too high, and as soon as I can refinance, I'm going well, to. So, like, on Alex McKay, I probably spent 5.5 um, for the sociology major that just got out of some... I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't. I don't want to like defend anybody. But just yeah, master. Uh, kind of thing. Ma- I want. I want twelve percent. I'm saying that interest rate's too low. And if you raise the interest rate for certain degree types, um, you just don't. If the university's actually thought about like how are we going to actually like fill the employment gap that society has, or try and like work with. Pro- you know, industry to develop new things that we're not even thinking about right now. Like, you know, what I keep kind of banking on is that we're going to discover, like, the singularity, like the next Internet of some sort, and it's going to take us to the next echelon of, you know, economic growth and job growth, and that's going to be what kind of saves us all, and that's like kind of like a pipe dream. But, you know, it's just kind of like, when you think about it, six percent is too high, but in in a, in a financier's mind, I'm like that's way too low, given the amount of risk. Like, I'll you know I want six percent on Apple, and Apple Apple's safer than the federal government right now. So, it, 
you know what I'm saying? It's, it's yeah, well, yes. How if you it, how, if how it all works. If you got a PhD in musical studies from Rutgers, like the guy I heard about on NPR six weeks ago, and then they're telling a sad sack story about how he can't make enough money to to pay his loans. Like I love music. I believe in art. I at my core wish that I could be an artist. I believe that art in this world of technology is the one true reason to wake up and be, whether that's through food or expression or conversation or music, whatever it is, like what makes us magical as people is our ability to create and entertain one another. But guess what? Nobody should have lent you 110 grand to go to music school. You should be paying 75% interest rate on that fucking money. Because what, what, like, guess, you know, okay, what, you're going to go teach high school music or... You're going to be one. It's like that's like giving a ski racer a hundred thousand dollar loan to try to get an Olympic medal. There's fifty five thousand incredible cellists on face of earth who all want to be in the New York Philharmonic. And like, what are you getting a musical studies degree for? What are how are you monetizing that? So anyways, keep going. I'm just trying to agree with you. Yeah, you know, I. You know, it sucks because I, I truly believe we should be nurturing, let's say, the, the building of culture, art, um, you know, music, you know, food, it's that, you know, what you've just brought up. But uh, it shouldn't cost, it, it should either not cost a hundred right. grand right. or right. they need to be paid some more somehow or... Like they need to be paying a much higher interest rate. Like I, right? I, I don't like the, the. What I really hope is that I don't start getting calls from my less creditworthy friends saying, "Hey, uh, I am getting all these letters in the mail asking me if I want to pay down my student loans and take out a, you know, twenty percent interest rate after twenty-four months, you know, loan through Marcus." Or by Goldman Sachs, um, yeah, you know, like I'm hoping you're the exception to the rule here, but like, you know, you see, you, you, I think, right? I have to. I haven't heard kind of anecdotally what what's going on with you, but it's a very interesting phenomenon. Let's call it because I'd say you. This is about how many letters have you sent me now? The pictures of five or six. I get five. I get five letters a week with a zero percent teaser rate for interest rate for for uh you know up to ten to fifteen thousand dollars of refinancing, and after eighteen months it goes to the regular credit card rate. And let's, I mean, it would be nice to think I'm the only person that is getting these letters, but the reality is I don't think that the sales department at Barclays Bank is only going to make this letter for me. So, um, you know, we can, we don't need to talk about specific money aspects, but we can say I'm making the average salary of someone graduating from an MBA program the first year out of school. My wife makes a, a, a... No, tell your listeners how much exactly you get paid and... Everyone wants to know, just like, air all your dirty laundry out. Well, yeah, here's here's the the dirty laundry that everyone is smelling, and they they're they're too busy on their phones to notice it. Is that life is too expensive for the amount of money we make right now? As a 35 year old, I have a few friends who are making a lot of money, and God bless them. But I can tell you, even the richest ones don't have 
the they probably have the money, but they, they feel it's too risky to put a down payment down on a house in the places that they want to live, even with six figure like high six figure salaries because it's too expensive. I think that the food at the grocery store costs too much right now. I think that clothes, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to say clothes. I think that wages are stagnant and that prices are inflated. And as far as I'm concerned, there's too much credit being extended to people and that we don't actually do anything. Everybody just goes to the computer and surfs the internet all day. I'm not sure what the productive utility of many people in the workforce actually is. It's like creating branding strategies for digital companies that I don't care about. So I, I, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I mean, look, if I could have sat down and written an essay on this and we could have hashed it out, I'm sure all these points would have been strung together better, but it's not. It's a podcast where I try to say a bunch of bombastic stuff and get myself in trouble off the air. Um, I think the reality is this has the calling card of another financial crisis. People are getting offered cheap money for a certain amount of time on the promise that the economy will stay like this forever. And the reality is if you know 10 or 20% of the workforce lost their jobs like they will, I mean, how many people lose their jobs in a recession? 5% more? I mean, it depends upon the severity. Like, I'm hoping that, like, I'm hoping the market reaction will be severe to the upcoming recession, but the actual, let's say, employment effects are not as severe. It's just kind of like a, a small one where, hey, we've grown, you know, for 10 years straight. We have to have, you know, a year and a half of, you know, kind of contracted growth just to digest this before we start up again. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I think the financial crisis is probably more than that. I, I, it may have been 6%. I have a great chart. Oh, I got to dig up that chart. And you, it, it basically showed as of like two years ago, we still had not recovered all the jobs we lost from the financial crisis, which is different than any other recession in the past that, um, and it was, it was meant to display that something different is happening here, and I think automation is, like, a big piece of that. Um, but that, you know, we're still kind of we, – we've only just finally, I'd say, recovered, and now economic times are, you know, very good again for really a select few people, which is what you're getting at. I mean, I think, by the way, your friends are very smart to be cautious about putting money down – to buy a property because Redfin, uh, one of the large real estate kind of listing companies, came out a couple weeks ago and got their own stock slammed by what they said publicly, saying that there's been a dramatic downward shift in the housing market in the past uh, three months. So, um, good. It's, yeah, prices are way too high. I think cars are. Another big one where, like, it's, it's the equivalent of you getting letters in the mail. Like, I keep looking at Ford stock right now because they look really, really cheap. And what I realized is they're lending out to their own customers. They will do anything possible to just give you the car and get you on a payment plan with them. And it, it just to boost their own sales. Like, it, it's almost, it's not, it's not a Ponzi scheme, but it's, it's a little Ponzi-esque in that they're just booking revenue 
cars and trying to put people in them. Like, what is the, what do you think the average creditworthiness of a Ford car owner is? Like, and how that would do during an economic downturn. Well, how about this? I mean, the big short is all about how the ratings agencies didn't do their job and they were bullshit artists with doing good ratings. How do we know that credit, credit scores are accurate? I don't believe credit scores. The only thing I learned about credit scores in the last year is that the credit ratings agencies are idiots and they got all of that. What happened where we had to all freeze our credit reports is because of the, all of the information was stolen. Again, back to cybercrime. I, I don't believe in the credit worthiness of, of the credit rating. So, all right. I'll put, well, I'll put, it, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. Uh, I applied for an Amazon credit card because I shop at Whole Foods um, because there's really not a better solution uh, in my neighborhood. I fundamentally um, disagree with that, but that's another podcast. Well, you know, for ease of use and the price point, it's a good little situation. It's not a perfect situation, but, you know, regardless of that, I wanted to get the discount at Whole Foods. So I was rejected the first time with when I applied for the card because I basically said something like I'm an entrepreneur. Um, I went back again about a month later and then put that I – uh, was earning X amount of income a year, same amount of income as before, just that I had, like, a steady job, and I got approved. So to, to kind of get to your point, um, you can lie, and they're going to extend credit. So, you, like, they're not really fact-checking much. That being said, I shouldn't have been rejected the first time around, but um, I'm sure there's a, quite a bit of posturing going on uh, by people to get extended credit right now. All right. Well, on that happy note, thanks so much to Jeff, the hedge fund millionaire, hedge fund thousandaire, not a millionaire yet, as far as we know. You'll have to announce on Landline when you become a millionaire yourself. Um, yeah. I, I, just rub it in people's face. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Thanks for potting and all this awesome. Yeah, and I will be happy about that because then I'll be accredited, which makes all the regulatory bullshit a lot easier. So, yeah. So, um, so some people in my world too. So um, here's to becoming an accredited investor. Here's to being friends with people in the real world. And here's to beating Rick Steves. Remember, call the landline 503-894-8480. My Russian phone tap will record it all. We're taking the show to the top, as we say, and um, find more episodes wherever you listen to the show. Um, Jeff, thanks so much. Good to talk to you, and I'll talk to you again soon. You as well. Take care, Maersk. Okay, time for Significant Bother. End of the show. We're going to do the scam jam after the bother because it's nine minutes long and only the diehards are going to listen to it. And in fact... My significant bother, you actually listened to it already in live time. But let's not get into that. You have three to four minutes. And remember, your goal is to shape the show before anyone else can and be a force of nature for people as they're listening. Like, yeah, I think that too. Or no, I think that's wrong as they listen to the end of the show. And go. Okay, so to me, the article was very interesting. Um, particularly enjoyed the Maersk drops. I hope to hear more Maersk, of them. The article, so we know you're tuned in. You what did I just article, say? The article. Keep going. Okay. So, um, but what was most compelling to me was 
in part one of you and Jeff's conversation. And that's this concept of Silicon Valley figureheads are being revered and deferred to by baby boomer and beyond lawmakers. I think that we are in a dangerous territory um, and it in real life or in the podcast. <sighs> well, let's just say we're both. Um, I don't know. Probably both. Um but basically, I I was happy that Jeff brought it back to in 20 years, we'll all be socialists. Shout out to Kevin Cavanaugh and his 82,000 views on his TED Talk right now on YouTube, which we could also get into. But with three to four minutes, how could I possibly? Um, but I think that we need to ponder that if if there is an influx of younger politicians, are we going to diversify these conversations? There's still this attitude of, oh, that's novel regarding these social media behemoths. And when will the, the lawmaking gatekeepers get wise to the building potential energy of these things? Energy to negative stuff? Negative, positive. It's just like a cloud um, unfortunately, pun was not intended there, but building in the distance, they have our marketing data. They ha they know what kind of diapers I'm buying. They know that Phoebe gets a diva cup from Amazon. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thanks. Throwing shade. Um, okay, so uh, Google diva cup, one of the only five good things on the internet, I guess, if you're into that kind of thing. So then what we should do is I should constantly be pretending I'm in a hurry, but then this actually takes like 35 minutes, but I'm always like, okay, you've only got some time left. Well, So keep going. I really wanted to read a small portion of a shouts and murmurs. You can edit it out. Okay, so and it, it, this is keeping in the theme of you not doing what I ask you to, which is a good part of being a significant bother. Okay. Because well, it's not like that was exciting or you guys need to talk less about this or more about that or everyone doesn't care about X, Y, and Z. That I mean, was, you used to come home from work after listening to the podcast when it aired and be like, you should do this differently. That's not true. And I can't believe you said that about such and such. And you, that's what significant bother was supposed to be. Okay. But anyways, maybe we'll try for that next, next, uh, next show, next, uh, next article. Um, so why don't you just read aloud from the New Yorker? That's all right. I guess I, I, for the audience, I get raw footage. I don't get the podcast in its final form with the breaks and other calls so it was really dense I thought your conversation with Jeff was really dense and I d you're asking me to shape the conversation and I think that's because you guys need help understanding what conversation you're having significant so, bother finds its stride in episode three <laughs> it's like okay um I miss the stock tips like that's my favorite part of thousand air jeff i wanted to get an update on netflix i wanted to like you know talk talk in that realm i think the article was a mistake okay fair enough now read your article no come on go for it come i'm not on. going we want to. it now now you finally found your stride and now we want to hear about it well it pertains to what i was previously talking about so it's no longer germane to the flow of the conversation but you just like superseded me in the podcast hierarchy by like defacing my earlier art which is exactly what i brought you here on to do so why don't you put a better podcast on in the next 45 seconds it's the dad adults by ian frazier in the august 30th new yorker 
The whistleblower Christopher Wiley held a room full of British lawmakers wrapped for three and a half hours on Tuesday, like a pink-haired, nose-ringed oracle sent from the future to explain data. At times, he seems slightly pitying of British officials who are investigating data mining, saying they did not have enough resources and lacked, quote, a robust technical background. I've had to explain and re-explain and re-explain and re-explain, you know, how relational databases work. What is an eigenvector? What is dimensionality reduction, he said. And this is attributed to the Cambridge Analytica whistleblower contends data mining swan Brexit vote in the New York Times. Okay, so point taken on the depth and thickness of the article review as you are case in point right now that was boring well no i mean i think that it's difficult to yeah it was hard to follow okay well it just proved my point that it is not a united states issue it's a worldwide issue that old people are like what is what are you talking about and wake up fogies it's the fucking antichrist sitting in front of you what are you going to do about it it's or almost, step out because other people need to take care of business it's almost as bad as the pope according to the paper the last two weeks all right well i think you said something that air our previous guests that you can listen to on soundcloud or whatever internet forum you listen to the podcast on um sean the helicopter ski guide once said which is it's all baby boomers fault so With that, we'll move to the next show. Baby Booners, go fuck yourself. Keep listening. Call into the show, 503-894-8480. Make sure you leave some money for us because we're going to be completely out by the time you die. And here is a nine-minute political poll that I took right before dinner today. Happy landline. Thanks for coming. Significant bother? See ya. Bye. Maersk. Hello, this is Nancy calling from Advantage Research, a national research firm, to conduct a very brief survey. Your responses will be kept anonymous, and we won't try to sell you anything. Are you currently registered to vote in Oregon? Yes. Press 1 for yes. Press 2 for no. In November, Oregon will be holding elections for numerous offices, including Governor and U.S. Congress. Thinking ahead to these elections... How likely would you say it is that you will vote? Extremely likely, very likely, somewhat likely, or not at all likely. Press 1, extremely likely. Press 2, very likely. Thinking about all elections, including school, local, and primary elections, how many of them have you voted in over the past few years? None of them, less than half of them, about half of them, most of them, or all of them. Press 1, none of them. Press 2, less than half of them. Press Thinking back over past elections, which answer best describes how you voted? Press 1, straight Democratic. Press 2, mostly Democratic. Press 3, about equally for both parties. Mostly Democratic. Thinking about national government policies, do you think the they country is generally going in the right direction or the wrong direction? Press 1, right direction. Press 2, wrong direction. 
clearly wrong direction. About state and local government policy. Because of the internet. Oregon is generally going in the right direction or the wrong direction. Press one, right direction. Press two, wrong direction. Press three, unsure. I'm unsure because you don't care. Being held today, U.S. Congress. Who would you vote? The Republican candidate or the Democratic candidate? Press one, Republican candidate. Press two, Democratic candidate. I'm seeing, looking at a squirrel and a and a. Donald Trump is handling his job. Oh, Donald Trump. Press one, strongly approve. Press. Strongly approve, that's an option. Press three, somewhat disapprove. Somewhat. Press four, strongly disapprove. What do I do? Press five, unsure. Where do I put my dick if I want to approve it? When you cast your ballot this year... Watching a hummingbird land on a tree. President Trump's policies and Very interesting. Or one who will stand up to President Trump and oppose his policies and agenda. Press... One, support the president's agenda. Who would do that? Who would support that agenda? the president's agenda. Yeah. Press three, won't factor into my vote. No, I wouldn't think of Trump when I was voting. Unsure. Do you approve or disapprove? Liz Warren, I hate her. Is handling her job as governor. Who? Kate Brown? Press one, strongly approve. Press two, somewhat approve. Press three, somewhat disapprove. Press four, strongly disapprove. I don't like Kate Brown, and I can't say it on the podcast. Why? To be reelected in November? No. Or do you think we should elect someone different? Different. Press one, reelect Kate Brown. Press two, elect someone different. But Newt Bueller has a goatee. Such a mask. And the candidates were Republican Newt Bueller and Democrat Kate Brown. Whom would you support? I guess I'm going to vote for Newt Bueller. Strongly Republican Newt Bueller. Press two. Somewhat Republican Newt Bueller. Somewhat Republican. Do you generally feel that the state government represents the interests of you and your community? Or do you feel that the state government only represents the interests of Portland? Press that seems one, like a loaded question. Represents me and my community. Press two. Only represents the loaded question. I'm in Portland, so that was a double positive. That is true. Do you feel like the cost of housing in your area has increased over the last five years? Press one for yes. Press two. House is so expensive. Do you believe is the best policy the state government could enact to ensure housing remains affordable for all Oregonians? When is this over? Enacting rent control policies to keep the cost down, or reducing regulations to increase the supply of available housing? Press one. Rent control policies. Press two. Reducing regulations. Press. Three, unsure. Both those options suck. Overall, how satisfied are you with the quality of education students receive in kindergarten through grade 12? I don't know. I don't know. Hurry up. Hurry up. This is like 45 minutes. Press two, somewhat satisfied. 
press three, somewhat dissatisfied. I'm somewhat dissatisfied on general principles. I'm trying to make an eggplant pasta sauce here. My kid's happy. Give them guns. Give the give the fast food restaurants guns. Is Gaylord like an offensive term? Maersk. I'm unsure. Oh my god, when does this end? Great pod. Got a little... Homer, they're going to send a social services person here. Turn the oven off. Trying to make an eggplant sauce here, lady. That is such a loaded question. I'm going to say one, saying one just to prove prove a point. About the environment, do you most agree? I believe in it. Protection of the environment should be given priority, even at the risk of eliminating jobs and raising the cost of transportation. Oh my God, New Bueller, how did you find me? Or our priority should be preserving jobs and keep. Would you describe the area in which you live to be urban, suburban, or rural? Next, I have just a few questions about. Some measures that will be on the ballot. Just a me- what are measures? Or oppose measure 103, which would prohibit state and local governments from taxing groceries. No. Press 1, support. Press 2, oppose. Press 3, unsure. Do you support or oppose? Do you support or oppose? Do you support or oppose? Now, I have just a few final questions for background and statistical purposes only. Am I the only one to take this test? Think of yourself as a Republican, a Democrat, an Independent, or something else. Is your racial or ethnic heritage Asian, Black, Hispanic? And what is your age range? Press 1. Finally, what is your sex? Press 1 for female. Press 2 for male. That'll confuse them. Finally, what is your sex? Press 1 for female. Didn't work. Those are all the questions I have for you. Thank you for your time and opinion. This call conducted by Advantage Research. 541-303-8574. Thanks for appearing on Lamb.
Music by the Pitchfork Revolution out of Bend, Oregon. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. You're listening to Landline. 